All right, everybody. This is Surviving the Suck, and we're doing a nice multi-stage process process examination of parenting post-trauma. And I've brought on two of my favorite people. We've got Raylene and Erica that I've spoken to before. And we're going to talk about broken parenting. Um, if you guys want to, one at a time, just kind of give like an elevator background, just so they don't have to go all the way back and listen to everybody's story. Or if they get, feel interested, they can just like an individual kind of catch up kind of thing. Go ahead, Erica. Well, my name is Erica. I'm also known as Sage Lightheart and I was raised in a cult. Um, I was also sex trafficked and that's my traumas. My story is more about the healing journey of discovering myself through a series of mental breakdowns and building myself back up again until I'm who God made me. And now I'm a mom, a fairy godmother of three magical children that I'm helping to raise through this entire process of recovering from trauma. Bam. True. And to adult kids. Um, which, because uh, I have five kids, I'm Raylene Lightheart, and um, I came from a family of uh, a, an emotionally unevolved mother who had big ideas about how to be a good mom and never making the connection with me personally um, all the time. And my father was a malignant narcissist. Um, and... You know, we it, it's funny how trauma works because you, you always everybody has some sort of traumas, you know. So um, it was a, a, a lot of not being understood by my mother, who meant well, and being understood very well by my father, um, and who ended up turning his sights on me when my mom left. So my mom kind of left when we were kids uh, after at the after the divorce, and then my father um, took the mask off completely. And, and then that, that was that. And then I also have, um, so that's where my PTSD originally came from, my CPTSD. And then I, um, my daughter, Adelie, our, our third child, um, had a undetected heart condition and was hospitalized and on death's doorstep for quite a, a year, um, but hospitalized for two and a half months. So um, so that's kind of compacted a lot of old traumas. And, um, since then, uh, Chuck and I have known each other for a couple of years and I'm really big in the Liberty world. And once I recognized why Liberty felt so spiritual for me, I was able to understand how the principles of anarchy were, uh, so solid that I could apply them to inside and so um, a lot of the people that know me know that I believe in freedom and healing is freedom. So Absolutely. five kids. And so, yeah, we all live together and we have a clan and uh, um, Erica and her husband live here and are the godparents of the kids and, and we all do it together. And part of the reason I had these two, <laughs> I wanted to bring these two ladies on is because they do a, a village style parenting and they're both from the backgrounds that they just described. And if they can group parent functionally, there's no reason that even those of us that, well, I'm damaged. I will get to that here in a second. Um, <laughs> those that aren't damaged to the same extent or at all 
can they should be able to parent just as well and just as peacefully if nothing else or at least understand how the rest of us that are broken do it um just in case you're new because i'm firing things up and i have terrible long gaps i'm chuck and i'm a combat veteran yeah that sounds like an aa meeting i get it um i most of my damage is from that um i grew up relatively poor which could contribute some my parents were kind of old school in the sense that my dad ran the house he was relatively aggressive um not aggressive aggressive like abusive but you know he was a spare the rod spoil the child type of child that type of guy and my mom was very submissive in that in that aspect of things um when it came to discipline it kind of that's how it worked though surprisingly i was more afraid of my mother because when she was mad she was mad but I wouldn't say that that really contributed to my PT and PTSD as much as the combat side of things did. And I tried to bury it for a while and it boiled up and boiled up. And now it's turned me into a different person because I've learned to accept it after the death of my cousin through suicide, who was also a veteran. Mm. And that's also when I started the podcast. So you can go back to my first recording and understand a little bit more about me if you want that. And listen to the rest of them. They get progressively better, I promise. <laughs> so, now that we got the introductions out of the way, let's start with something, let's try something relatively simple. It's relatively simple because none of us really know the answer to this. Um, being that we're, we've come from where we are and we've seen the aggressive sides of parenting how do we uh set boundaries and say discipline our children without traumatizing them the way we were traumatized i'm gonna go ahead and, and i'm gonna let erica answer first with all the questions and i'll jump in second oh good god <laughs> all right i just put a new spin on the first question i, I sent y'all last night <laughs> yeah all right Shit. Um, why do I feel like I'm on the spot even though I agreed to be here? <laughs> um, uh, I, I, can I can jump in. So, oh, please, will you restate the question so I can hit it up exact tightly? All right. So, since we're damaged people, how do we uh, discipline and set boundaries without traumatizing our children? You know, going overboard, basically. Okay, great. Uh, I can speak to this and say that I really mimicked a lot of my early parenting with my first two kids from my parents. And so I, I definitely passed on a lot of the same trauma um, with them by being too strict. I mean, it came with a lot of love, a lot of appreciation, a lot of building them up, a lot of support. I was still a great mom in so many ways. And I'm, and they, and I did understand them and I was always seeking to understand them. So I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that I didn't do it all in the same way, of course, but there's a lot of regrets. And I think that the best way to to parent is recognize that a lot of behaviors that you do are you should be challenging them all in yourself and questioning all the things you're doing and just be ready to pivot don't be stubborn and ask yourself 
just because this is what I know or this is how I've seen it done, is this how I want to do things? And that was a huge change for me. So where I would definitely was authoritarian, a lot like how you describe your dad. That's what I was coming with. I'm happy that I was a consistent person. My kids knew what to expect. I did that right. But I wish I would have been a lot less like a rock and more like water with the kids. And luckily, my kids have been able to share with me what was hard about it. So I could pivot for the kids that I have now, the the younger kids. I mean, my daughter's actually said, I wish I wasn't the first because she had to go through the most because she was my first. And so I, I just want to point out that our kids do not, they do not perform and for us and therefore we should not be deriving our value as parents or as humans from our kids. I think that's a huge one. Absolutely. And then uh, I think that next you have to look at why are the boundaries boundaries? What kind of boundaries are we trying to create? And I think really sitting down with yourself and understanding what are my values? What are our shared values in a family setting of adults that are raising the kids? And really simplifying it that way. And then building up to from the bottom up instead of top down. I, I think that's the greatest advice I could give in that situation. That sounds like solid advice to me, honestly. Thanks. Yeah, that, that was spot on. I'm, I'm pretty lucky in my parenting experience in that I don't often have to take the role of a disciplinarian uh, with the kids, though I do have to hold boundaries. And just like Raylene said, all of those boundaries are, are value related. And our values are pretty simple. If you take it down to the radical on it, it's don't hurt anybody and don't touch their stuff. So when when I am dealing with with the kids, if they're in an argument or there's been some sort of dispute, one, I don't approach it from my trauma. And my trauma with my mom is I would get my ass beat and then I would be punished and grounded and have all my things taken away from me, which mm -hmm. really fed my egoic messages of nothing is mine. Um, and I don't want to put that on these kids at all because they they have the right to to be themselves and they have the right to own what they own without interference from other people. So when I find them in a dispute, I always just try to take it down to what is the value? Did you hurt somebody or did you touch their stuff? Okay, well, what do we do when we've done this? Because we know it's wrong. We all agree that it's wrong. Um, and just bringing them back down to that root every time. And if there's lots of emotions involved, I don't try to take it to the root immediately. Um, I'll sit there in the emotions with them and walk through their story of why they're having the emotions that they're having mm -hmm. and, and take it down to the root. And it it pretty much can solve almost anything with them as long as I'm not coming in with my emotional baggage, you know, or an idea of what happened um, and just listening to each child's individual experience of what happened because we can all see the same thing and experience it completely differently. Mm -hmm. So um, just taking the time to really acknowledge and understand the unique experience of each child and bring it down to the roots so that they can really understand what it is that happened that got them in that situation. And I agree. I would Absolutely. like to add on to that because she's bringing up some good points. So a really cool thing is, you know, don't hurt people, don't hurt their stuff. Wonderful principles. And part of our shared values is also having empathy 
and understanding and being able and and moving into things like free association, which is self-ownership, right? So we so she does such a great job at that. And what I've noticed is a lot the kids are much more likely to want to find an empathetic empathetic space for others once their needs are met. Because self-interest motivates them. One cool thing about Austrian economics is the basis of human action, which is self-interest motivates all people, right? All humans, the humans will act. And so, but community facilitates. So we, we go to the root, we hear where they're coming from, show them validation for their feelings because feelings should be validated even if it's based on, if it's not factual. We, we do get on their level with their feelings because you're going to have feelings whether or not they make sense or not. I mean, you know, so we do that first and then she takes it to the root of principles. But sometimes it's just about not being kind or saying something that might hurt somebody else's feelings. And then we can kind of take our shared values and put it into being a good community member. And how would that feel if somebody did that to you? Or, you know, you do that sometimes. I mean, and then they that lesson ripples out throughout throughout the rest of their behavior later. So absolutely. Ooh, I have a quick note on that that I've noticed recently with with Link is that instead of saying, how would you feel if somebody did that to you? I've started taking it to the third person and saying, mm-hmm. how would you feel if you saw that done to her by somebody else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes you feel. And I really got that from, uh, from Mick's last therapy session where he was able to do that for himself and his trauma. He's doing EMDR. And it's, it's making huge changes in everybody around. It's healing is, uh, affects the community, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, it's really cool to take different perspectives and especially third party for some kids that are so in it and they can't see, they don't want to feel accountable. They don't want, they want to feel justified in their feelings. So sometimes it's hard to, um, go to themselves. But if you show it about other people, then as soon as you bring that up, my son who's eight will just immediately put his head down and want to hug because he, he is feeling true empathy. And, and that's what you're always trying to get to, but you shouldn't be haranguing them. Sometimes you have to give them a little time and then kind of sneak attack it from the side. You know, it's you know, funny. Cause that's kind of, that's kind of a, a direct thing that a lot of say, other people like would use in say a political forum, like, well, say the, the transgender argument. Mm-hmm. Well, what if your daughter was in the bathroom with some transgender woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that yeah. kind of thing. So it can also be used negatively. So you got to know where you're using it and how you're using it. Uh, absolutely. And you really, what it comes down to is uh, God is love. And however you, find that or connection or that there's something special about humans and that we energetically feel each other and are affected by others energy whether you want to admit it or not just because it's invisible doesn't mean that it isn't real absolutely and so we caring about others is caring about yourself and caring about yourself and taking care of yourself is also caring for others but we just have to find positive ways to do that where everybody is uplifted if we're subjugating another person to feel better about ourselves then that's not that's not right um and it's uh it's kind of important so i mean even with with, with holding boundaries and disciplining your kids i mean i'm taking it 
so far to the root at this point, I'm really proud of myself that I started recognizing how traumatizing it was to always seem to be getting a dirty look from my mom as a kid. And I would ask for something and I would get a dirty look. I mean, we're talking food or clothing or interrupting or anything that, that I felt like an annoyance and I carried that with me my whole life and I'm only now healing it. And, uh, it makes me want to pay attention to what my face does. And if I do make a, like, um, you know, cause I'm concentrating, I have ADHD, I'm doing something. If my kids interrupt me, I realize how often I would act irritated by them interrupting, even though I say nice words and I am now explaining it to my kids. It just explaining that, oh, I make this face when I'm concentrating and then my brain has to switch tracks and I make faces and I say things in a certain tone and I'm working on it. And I want you to know this has nothing to do with you. And so I've just been communicating what my process and trying to change what I'm doing with my kids and they seem to have so much grace with it. That is actually a really challenging thing to do. I, I, I catch myself and I mean, I'm not remotely as authoritarian as my dad mm-hmm. i've because that's what i went through i just i've i've never not one time spanked either one of my kids mm-hmm. never felt the need i still use dad voice everybody knows dad voice mm-hmm. but i always try to keep it short just to stop the action to get the attention and then i try to change it up real quick and explain to them all right what's going on right because of this thing that thing this is what you're doing wrong and this is why it's wrong Mm-hmm. And I try to keep it peaceful, not yeah. saying it always happens, but I try. I mean, and I've been a lot better the last, say, year or so, um, because I've come to realize that I have issues that I have to separate from parenting. Mm-hmm. And um, the, as far as the, the confiscating things, I try not to do it because, I mean, really, it's, it's their item. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's I, rough, isn't it? Oh my God. It's so hard. You're like, <laughs> am I breaking my own principles by taking their things? Right. And, and I'm like, I, I freaking am. <laughs> Cause yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm a hypocrite here. I can't do that. So I have yeah. to figure out how to explain what they did was wrong and still manage to get it across enough that they won't do it again, or it won't be done again, or it'll at least be thought about before it happens again. Right. Um, so right. I mean, and we don't have to go right process. to that either. A lot of times we just need warnings, you know, like, hey, look, normally, you know, the old way I was doing this was taking your things every time you were, you know, naughty with it or you used it when you weren't supposed to or something like that. And, you know, and I started with my kids kind of going, um, I want to have a conversation and I want to give you the opportunity to make a mistake and then fix it. And so giving them second chances and third chances has been a really fun adventure. Wouldn't you say Erica? Yeah, it has. And I've noticed that it's really hard to prevent something from happening again by handling it fully. Um, because we're talking about human beings that are growing and developing and sometimes they regress back into old patterns. Yeah. I definitely head into each interaction with the idea that the next time will be different. The next time I will be better in the situation and I'll have the foundation that I'm laying right now. So I, I don't try to approach anything with an air of finality um, or like this is going to be the end all be all and they'll forever know never to do this again. 
um, because that I've just found that, that that that's not how it works with kids. Oh, yeah. Lots of fresh starts is really appreciated by everybody. Lots of fresh starts because, yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I know that growing up, if you made a mistake and then you're grounded for a week, that is, is too much. It's too long. It feels like forever as a kid, your brain actually isn't even developed enough to be able to conceptualize that. And it feels like forever. And I, I know that, you know, you really struggle with the idea of reputation as a kid. You know, um, as you're growing and developing, you are going to make mistakes. And sometimes you'll have like a struggle. But once you start getting a reputation as a kid, that it's too young to be teaching your children that they have a reputation. You can warn them of what happens with reputation, but they need a fresh start. I mean, how many times have we dug ourselves into a hole and even not answering a text and then we get embarrassed that we didn't answer right away and then we run away and never talk to that person again. That It's a real thing that adults go through. All right. You mm -hmm. dug yourself a hole. How do we get out? And with who's we're supposed to be helping our children dig themselves out of those holes. We have to help them go. Oh, you dug yourself a little bit of a hole right now. Do you want to have a fresh start? Let's just have a fresh start completely. You can just start all the way over. And honestly, they love you for it. They need that. We needed that. I think that's where people look at it and a little weird is like, because most of us were raised with our parents were in charge, period. Mm -hmm. You don't question them just like people don't question the government Yep. or any authority, really doctors, nurses, whatever. They don't question them because they're the authority figure. And we need to realize that we are not the rulers. We may be responsible for the house or responsible for their well-being. But we're guides. That's right. We're not. That's right. I mean, they're still individuals. They still have the same rights we do, whether they're 25 or 15. And what are we teaching them? What do we want them to be like grownups? Do we want them to think in a binary authority slash um, slave way, which is what we're seeing right now in the world? Or do we want them to question everybody, including us? We need them to be free thinkers yeah. so that we can give them the best life we it want that how to question. Yeah. And we're the one who chose to have these kids. So we're the ones that should be going through the grief of, of letting them figure that out. And yeah. so I, I'm a huge proponent of that. And we do have to also remember that the, the kids seeing us admit that we're not perfect, but that we're working on it shows them how to do that too. Exactly. And showing humility a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Keep kids from being, you know, Say they're in competitive sports. It keeps them from being a, a bad sport one way or the other, whether right. it's or losing. Um, it also helped them be kinder to themselves on the inside because right. the voice that we use with our children becomes their inner critic. And I know all three of us have some wicked inner critics or used to. All right. All three I of us. <laughs> and it's debilitating. And people wonder why they can't make themselves do something. And here's the deal. Every one of us used a dominating, mean voice to ourselves as kids. And it sometimes it worked. And because sometimes it worked and we could get ourselves to do something, quit being a little bitch. You got this. Stop being so stupid. Just do this. Just, you know, and that might have worked for a while. But then. We start just like an abused animal or child, we start to shut down and it no longer motivates us. And then we wonder why, what's wrong with us? Why can't we get ourselves to do these things that we know are good for us, right? 
Oh yeah. And um, we have to be careful not to do that for our children. One of the greatest things that Eric and I have been working on for uh, at least a couple of years now is replacing the voice of our inner critic with the voice of the perfect parent guiding us, helping us hold ourselves accountable and still giving ourselves grace and showing us that we'll know what we need to know when we know it, that there's never a mess that we make that's too big to fix. And, And just that gentle guidance and loving, gracious parent that is there not to teach us lessons in a in a you sit there and listen way, but in a you've got this and you know what's right and you can let this go now. You're sorry and you fixed it, so you can let it go now. There's no shame. And um, I'd like to kickstart our kids off with as gracious and a loving and as supportive as parent as possible because that is their inner voice. And we can, and then they they can pick that self parenting up when they're ready. Would you agree, Erica? Completely, <clears throat> completely. Learning to reparent myself has been so huge in mm-hmm. my healing journey because I had the voice of narcissist upon narcissist upon narcissist and abuser upon abuser um, masquerading as the voice in my head. As you, and, yeah, it's me. And it was um, it it was terrifying in there for a very long time. I was filled with anxiety and just slowly learning how to shut that down and replace it with this, with a fairy godmother, with, mm-hmm. um, you know, someone saying, it's okay that you lied, tell the truth now and you'll still be loved and safe. Or it's okay that you made this huge mess. Look at you cleaning it up. You're a good mm-hmm. girl. And I'm, that sounds like such basic stuff, but I didn't get that really as a child. Um, and I've had to develop it internally with myself. <laughs> And it has, um, it's changed the way that I speak to the kids. It's changed the way that I speak to myself and motivate myself in my daily life. Uh, it's, it's been absolutely huge. Yeah, I completely agree. Absolutely. My I'm husband serious. was laughing oh, about how he goes, my husband, we were talking about self-parenting and how important it is. And he goes, yeah, I've been working on that too. And I said, okay, that's amazing. I love you. I love hearing men talking about this because um, he goes to say, isn't it really weird that a lot of people that would hear me saying that I'm replacing the voice with the perfect parent and that I'm, I'm t- pep talking myself like a child inside. He goes, so many people would say, oh, great job, snowflake and da, 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 da. And then he goes, what a sick, sick world that we live in that people would do that because that's just showing their own trauma. And exactly. exactly and we have to normalize this. We do. We have to because we can see right now how the world responds to social pressure. Because it, I know for are. myself, mm-hmm. I heard a lot of uh, "you're going to be a failure." You know, this is where you're going to end up if you don't get things right. And there was a lot of negative reinforcement. Me too. And I've had to gradually throughout the years change the negative reinforcement to the "you got it, keep pushing, you can do it." Okay, you got sick while you were running this two mile. Good. You're showing you're working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I, I threw up a lot during basic training. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> my whole military career when I was running, I threw up every time. <laughs> it was just because I pushed myself that hard, which made wow. it physically good for me. But it was, it was just something to kind of give myself. A, it, it was something the drill sergeant always said, if you're not puking, you're not trying. So it was just kind of a marker for me. 
and it wasn't meant as a negative thing for me, I guess, when I was doing it. It yeah. was just a marker. It's like, all right, I'm really pushing. So I even I had to change that a little bit. You know, what's really interesting about that is that your body, when you do that, you're simultaneously, you're recording two things in your body. Um, the trauma of throwing up, it's actually traumatic for our bodies to do that to the body itself while simultaneously experiencing the emotion of success. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a huge, huge mindfuck. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a sticky situation for sure in there. Woof. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, to, it, that gave me chest anxiety hearing that, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, I actually had to, with one of my triggers, I had to convert a lot of, it was a flickering lights or glare on my hood. And I've mm -hmm. talked about this before, but it would put me out, put me on autopilot, where yep. I wouldn't remember something for whatever. It could be five minutes, could be 45 minutes driving down the road. And, Disassociation. Yeah, it, right. Yep. And I've heard uh, other stories, you know, like uh, a girl was raped and she happened to, one of the things that when it happened, she remembered a pack of Oreos. So she couldn't eat Oreos. Yep. So it was kind of, you had to find a way to, you know, make something up from a negative to a positive. Mm -hmm. And it's just a, a wild sto a story, you know. So I started um, going to a, a doctor and she suggested, she's like, well, what do you usually do while you're driving? It's like I'm constantly listening to freaking '90s like alt and grunge rock, you know, mostly stuff from your neck of the woods. Um, <laughs> I listen to a lot of Nirvana, and, Alice in Chains, and Alice in Chains, and freaking yeah. everything from up there. I listen to it all. Um, Pond, which is very obscure, that I even know who that is. Yeah, it is. But um, I started. Uh, I had a subscription to uh, Sirius XM, so I was constantly listening to that stuff. And she's like, well, try singing or yes. talking to yourself or counting like um, telephone poles or, you know, markers or whatever. So I started singing. And for some god awful reason, freaking Fiona Apple's Criminal kept coming on the fucking yeah. radio. Yeah. And I've never liked that song, it's but so I always sexy. sang it. I always sang it because I was like, you know what? This song is on, and I saw that freaking flickering light, whether it was a police light or the glare off my hood. As soon as I would notice it, I would start singing whatever song was on the radio because I knew them all. <laughs> and I it helped. Love it. It does. And verbalizing and speaking, there's something beautiful about processing um, and what your brain does and with your body. Um, I'm. I feel like intuitively this is important to me and uh, Erica has witnessed it. How important is speaking the, the vibrations and speaking in, I mean, like speaking things into existence and just pr processing it. You really release it from your body so much more when you're speaking it. And so singing is a really good tactic. Oh yeah. And that's uh, after doing that for so long, I kind of started, that's when I started to realize that, you know, maybe the positive reinforcement thing, even if it's not exactly what I'm thinking to myself, mm -hmm. saying it to myself, kind of a fake it till you make it situation. Yeah. You're, you're parenting I yourself. started telling myself things and that's how I've tried to parent my kids is instead of telling them negative things, maybe they did something wrong, but tell them, Hey, this is, this is where you, you made your mistake, but this is how you can fix it. Mm -hmm. And this and, is who I know who you are. And this is, yeah, and this exactly. is why you're going to, you're going to fix it. Mm -hmm. And kind of keep the whole situation diffused, you know, so they don't feel guilty. And like maybe feel a little guilt, but not guilt from you guilt from the action. 
Like, you know what? That was wrong. I screwed up. But. Um, I work on it. I call it conviction in the heart. And so I really, we, we parent with natural law, right, Erica? Um, and so a lot of times I will talk about, okay, I think that the reason that you're, you know, you're hiding right now is because you're feeling that conviction in your heart that you feel like maybe this wasn't the best choice. And that shows that you're a good person. That feeling right there is that's your goodness, knowing that you could have done it better. And all you have to do is make it like accept that that was wrong, feel it in your heart, know the truth, and then uh, say, I don't want to do that anymore. And then we try it. We talk about restitution and making the other whole again, which is a lot of times just acknowledging that you did that to to another kid. Mm -hmm. Simply and sometimes it's simple enough just to apologize. Exactly. And so once and then we always say once you do you do that. You can let it go all the way because it's gone. You've already done everything there is to know. You learned what you needed to learn and it's gone forever. And that's another thing that I've done for myself is as self-parenting. I tell myself that so I don't have to carry around something I did back in 1999. You know, that's working on that myself. Yeah, just keep going. Tour overseas and stuff. And I think Erica has a lot to add about about working through those things, too. For sure, for sure. I want to tack something on to next time you're singing in the car is uh, try tapping your fingers against your steering wheel because that bilateral motion is actually really good for your brain when you're processing yourself through a trigger. Yeah. Um, with oh, yeah. EFT and EMDR. So if you add just add a little bit of tapping to your your working through that trigger and it might you might find it a little bit easier and actually a little bit more fun. I actually um, do that as a standard coping mechanism for my anxiety while I'm driving. Oh my God, you're perfect. Intuitive. Very good. Yep. Yeah. That's I mean, it's just like having a fidget spinner or something like that. I mean, I'm kind of. You want to engage the left and the right side of the brain with your body. So, you know, when you're driving, you are moving your eyes left to right as you're scanning the road. That's really good. But if you engage with the tapping also, um, even with your feet, uh, things like that, um, that's what she's talking about. So keep it up. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I found with things like that, I used to do a lot of different coping mechanisms. Um, weird. I'm autistic, so I have some weird twitches and hand flapping strangenesses that I do. Um, mostly toe tapping, which I don't recommend toe tapping when you have a foot on the gas pedal. It makes you look erratic. Good thing um, I drive an automatic. foot. <laughs> <laughs> But doing these things with intention was actually part of my reparenting because I heard a lot stop fidgeting and, you know, hands behind your back. Uh, (laughs) My mother totally sounded like a cop. I, you know, wasn't allowed to touch anything, including myself, which was very hard for a fidgeter who wants to, you know, touch my ears and I have a weird sensation in my leg and all of that. So part of my reparenting is just letting myself do those weird little twitches. But I started doing them with intention, um, where it wasn't just me giving myself permission to have this weird tick. It was me, I have permission to do this weird thing, but I'm going to do it with intention because it is calming me. So then I have the intention of calming. It's not just an unconscious calming gesture. It's now a conscious calming gesture and the effectiveness of all these things really really started improving my balance through my triggers 
and um, helped process some of it because after I'd come through the trigger, I wouldn't be all emotionally stopped up and bottled up and I'd be able to express what just happened um, and process verbally process my way through whatever had triggered me and found that the triggers were less and less each time. Um, and sometimes they can be huge again, but, but most of the time they're smaller. Uh, definite improvement on the healing with the intentionality behind my tapping. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, real quick, I need to take, do we want to go on to the next question or we still got more to talk about the first question? Yes, please. All righty. No, I think we've kind of addressed this one a little bit. Um, but might as well hit it anyway. Um, has your trauma affected your kids negatively? And if not, how, how did you avoid it? Avoid transference? Name. Obviously you said with the younger ones, it's a little bit different Yeah, because you were in a different place with your older ones. Yeah. So yes to all of that, all of the children. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm going to start with my oldest and say, absolutely. But you know, what you can do is communicate that not with your excuses, don't go into it looking for forgiveness. Don't go into it looking for anything other than to make your children whole again. It's providing restitution. Exactly. In my unawareness and in my trauma responses, especially, I'm going to say, when Adelie got sick, um, she was five months old with an undiagnosed heart defect and very rare heart condition. And... When that happened, it was traumatizing for both of our older kids and my husband and I. We we have most of that experience blocked out. Um, it's very hard to access the emotions regarding it. Um, and same for our kids, the, the, the older two. A and our baby, Adelie. I mean, she's 12 and she can't remember it, but she's carrying that trauma. So... So uh, the holistic psychologist who we follow and we love, um, she made a post and it and it was about it's um, it's OK to forgive yourself for the times that you left your body and talking about trauma responses. And a lot of us know about disassociation, but I had never been an angry, screaming mom. But I became an angry, screaming mom. And it is honestly the biggest regret. I, I've, I, I try not to live with regrets and do that. But man, that was hard. And finally understanding that, no, no wonder that happened. I mean, I, my children didn't recognize me after we came home. And the pressure, I was still trying to find value create my value by being a certain way for the, the collective for other people. I was still a codependent person. I was still a person who was trying to earn my love from my family and friends. I still felt like I had to perform to be a valuable human, to be good. I was carrying all of that into my adulthood and living that life. And after Adelie got sick, I couldn't do, I, I didn't realize that my head was barely above water already, that I was already living my life for other people to, to feel worthy. I didn't understand that all that childhood trauma that I was carrying and acting in, um, even though I was, 
a relatively happy person. I was a fun mom. I had a great time with my kids. We were all very close. But just that tipping point of that tragedy of my do- my my baby at that time, um, it 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 completely wrecked me. And my husband, um, too. We 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 both became no fun. And it was really scary for my kids to see that happen and to go through that. And I will never stop offering my children apologies, acknowledgements. Every time I discover something that might have been hard for them that they don't even recognize, I will bring it to them. As adults, they are so capable of doing it. No, no one gets out unscathed. Everybody has trauma and everybody has perceptions of things that they internalized and made decisions about themselves in. We all, every adult has ways of trying to earn or feel, earn their love or feel worthy, um, feel like they're good. I mean, everybody has those ego identifications and our kids are no different. And it's really important that the children see me doing the work to heal. And it's very important that my adult kids see that I am taking the steps to rectify it and that I'm trying to save their younger siblings from what I, I did. It's important that I, I go to them and try to make them whole again and give them the tools that I found that work for me so that they can do the work. I have total faith in them that, I mean, Considering what I put them through, you would never know it because they are just the most remarkable human beings. I'm so proud of them. But I know that they need to have that experience validated, even though they forget that your kids want to forgive you. Kids want to forgive their parents. We come, we made a soul contract in some way with our parents and we all ended up here together. And ultimately, I I think that stopping it means that I have to acknowledge it and fix it and do the right thing to make the restitution. And if I, and that's how I'm teaching my little kids to handle things. And that's what I have to do too. Um, Erica didn't really, my kids were born when she came into our world. So she, she didn't have quite the experience, but I know that she probably still bumps up on little tiny things, right girl? Yeah, I do. Um, My first thought with this question is, uh, once again, what a blessing it was that my my greatest wish and my most fervent prayer to become a mother was not answered until my trauma had been revealed to me. Um, Because I if I had had a child in my 20s, it would have been disastrous and I would not have been able to, to keep my trauma off of that child. I would have compounded it with my child. And I, I, I do believe it would have been a miracle had my child lived to be 18 years old. Um, just with the amount of trauma that I was carrying and the decisions that I was making based on that trauma, just in complete unawareness. So um, I was very lucky to not, um, have too many chances to put trauma on kids being unaware that I was doing it um, because I came into these children's lives almost, I was right before, a few months before I really woke up and was like, holy shit, I was raised in a cult and look at all this pain I'm carrying and look at how this pain is informing my behavior. Um, so I think that the 
the thing that I'm probably going to have to walk through with these kids when they're older um, is I spent a year having my first year here in a dark night of the soul where I was experiencing all of the pain I had ever experienced simultaneously Mm -hmm. triggers um, Mm -hmm. just constantly triggered and I was very scared Um, so they lived with me in fear I was in fear and um, tried very hard not to put that on them sometimes it was difficult because I would be walking through triggers with none of the tools that I have now Mm -hmm. for trigger for when I'm triggered Um, and without the language to communicate to them what was happening to me and I actually started involving them in my healing process when I realized that I had no emotional education I started involving Adelie who was um, about 11 at the time Uh, She was just starting to do EMDR therapy and just starting to really work on her emotional education. And so I started doing emotions with Adelie and quickly discovered I had the emotional intelligence of an 11-year-old where I I then had the opportunity to grow with these children and really learn about what are emotions, where do they come from, where do they belong, what should we do with them, Um, and I think that that I will, there will probably be an accounting for that. Um, Probably I'll end up starting that instead of them coming to me with, you really hurt me with this. But uh, I don't even think that's actually (laughs) going to be them. You're so dramatic about it. You're so cute. There's been a couple times when the kids would, you know, be asking her a question and she couldn't even handle it. And she would kind of like start to lose her mind or something, or they would argue like, why? You know, like kids. kids and, do, yeah. and yeah. And that would feel like a conflict would freak her out when she was in it. And I remember kind of being like, I, I would know, and I would just kind of come in and be like, oh, I got this. And I would just let her kind of go, oh, Erica, I got this. I'll talk to the kids and just let her go do her thing. And, and, um, and go manage herself for a moment. And she never took it personally. We really worked through that. She wasn't taking it personally that I was jumping in. And that. um, Kind of an alley-oop situation. Yeah. Erica needed to trust that when I was doing that, it wasn't because she's bad or that she was going to get kicked out and that we didn't trust her with the kids or anything like that. She, she learned that she cares more about the children's well-being than her own ego. And so she was able to work that through that really quickly. And that, that it's not that you're bad. It's that you need help right now. And so she kind of accepted that help. And I would just be able to come in with the kids and go, Erica's just having a really hard time. Her mommy did this and this and this, and this is what she's feeling right now. And she just realized how sad it makes her just now for the first time. And, you know, 30 something years. So, and then the kids would hear these stories and the amount of empathy that they would have for her when I would talk to them and in, in their, you know, for their age appropriate level, but being honest. Well, I mean, kids are some of the most empathetic people you can, you can meet really. Exactly. And so, I mean, and I, and I talked to the kids about that even when, um, uh, like stuff with my, my mom, um, who, kind of walked away from us um, because she, I think is honestly threatened by the healing journey and it has nothing to do with us. But I had to explain to the kids, you know, she's probably scared of her own healing. There it is. 
that's exactly what it is. Yep. And so I talked to them about that. Like sometimes people do things that aren't right or aren't kind, but it's because they're really hurting inside and they don't even, they're hurting so badly. It's like they're, they're drowning and they just grab anything and pull it down. And I kind of explained that to the kids, but they were, you know, Erica really did start to embrace that we were a team or and it, not that she was my supporter and my teammate only, but that we were her supporters and teammate too, and that we're all in this together. And I, I think that's what kind of made the big leap there, don't you, girl? Yeah, yeah. And also just the just having mutual empathy with these children, um, being along on my healing journey with me, has has been a strange, beautiful trip to be able to kind of grow up alongside them has been such a gift uh, and that's, that's kind of the that. fortunate and unfortunate thing for you erica is you kind of got to start from the beginning with your emotions whereas yeah so you kind of got to learn while they were learning so you got more of a fortunate and unfortunate <laughs> situation but you get to learn it at the simplest most basic levels first yeah yeah, indeed. And I'm also, I'm really lucky. Most parents don't have this, but I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to be in the middle of a conflict with the kids and say, you know what, I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm obviously not the adult in this room. Let's go find somebody else with a clearer head and we'll go find somebody to mediate for us. Uh, normally, Raylene is that. But sometimes <laughs> Isaac for us too. But um, they're- Yeah, all, Isaac's they, my oldest son. Yeah. They all have so much grace for me. <clears throat> they all have so much grace for me in my parenting when when I'm the equivalent of their age and we can go find help. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've literally, you guys have been in an argument about something <laughs> like, like the kids with you. It's so funny. Like she, she takes it very personally uh, when the kids are saying like, I don't like, like, kuma's beard like that or her haircut or something and she just gets so offended and it's her old pain body and trauma right and uh and i'll jump in and i'll kind of go like like she like i'll talk to my kid i'll say i got this and then i'll talk to erica and it's really cute because she's in that also because she remembers having people point out things about her body that were hurtful especially her very critical mother right and so i i get the opportunity to talk her through where this child is coming from and her inability to understand why that could hurt someone's feelings, just sharing her opinion openly and, and, and rudely. Right. And it's so sweet how Erica starts to recognize that we don't have to worry about our six-year-old becoming a huge bully, terrible narcissist. <laughs> That's not her mom. And it's, it's cute. And I love it. And I love that uh, we all get to, help each other step in for each other when we're triggered by our kids it's so cool uh it is it's so cool and she oh, she helps cool. me the most because the child that triggers me the most is Adelie, and it's because uh, i was she was an induced in a coma she was on so many drugs and they gave her nightmares in this coma and for my daughter she that must have been very scary as a baby and it was for a very long time. And that, so not only did my daughter experience that trauma, but it was traumatizing to me because I care so much about being a good mom. 
And I, lo- I love my daughter. I don't want her to experience that. So it traumatized me. So a lot of times when my daughter is disappointed or, or she's having a hard time with like me saying no, or, you know, not, you know, meeting her demands in a, in a passive aggressive manner, which is, you know, she's working it out. She's learning. And it does, it triggers me. And I have to, sometimes it, it hurts my feelings. And it's really sweet that I have this, you know, sister of mine who is able to help talk me down from mine because she's not personally invested in that. She doesn't have that shared trauma with like the Adelie and I do. And so, um, I love that we're all doing that with each other. All the parents and the husbands are all doing that with each other. You know, like when a child acts just like one of us, that can often make us want to, you know, pile them into the dirt. Like, oh, that behavior is horrifying. And it's because we see that reflection in ourselves. So it's really fun having people that love you, people that want you, that you have, that you are so accepted as you are, that are able to point that out to, you know, sometimes you have that feeling or sometimes you get like that, or sometimes you don't want to share either. And, you know, maybe that's why you're feeling so passionate about what this kid's doing right now. And so we kind of, it's, it's raising the children has become this kind of group therapy session. That's making amazing results. Yeah, it really has almost every time I am triggered by the kids, it reveals some new place for me to heal, which honestly, when it comes to, I can make a choice whether or not to be triggered by this thing with the kids or to heal it. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to heal it obviously, because I don't want to put that trauma on them and having an inappropriate emotional reaction to a child. I mean, let's take the steps to stop that. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, life is hard enough anyway. The kids don't need to come fresh with a, a negative outlook on things. Yeah. Yeah. So communication is key and not having expectations um, about your kids feelings toward you just trust that your children love you and are looking for a reason to trust you. They really are. Even when they're challenging you and saying they don't believe you or that they they seem to be questioning you, they're actually proving how smart they are and they are definitely looking for honesty, authenticity and 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 uh righteousness from you. So it's always an opportunity, even if it looks like a challenge, the truth is they want you to win. They want you to get it. They want you to get it right. My, my oldest, he, he challenges me quite a bit. Mm-hmm. One, he, he, you can tell how much he's like me because of that. Because <laughs> He'll ask me a question that he knows the answer to. And sometimes it's a question he knows I don't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. Or he'll ask a question and I'll give him the best answer I have. And then he'll give me a follow up and I'm like, oh, crap. Just remember <laughs> that that's him trying to impress you. Don't oh, yeah. ever, yeah, like parents always think that, oh, they're trying to beat me and they're trying to come for me. And just remember that that kid is always thinking, if I'm better at this than my parent, it means that they're going to be so proud of me. And isn't that a beautiful way to look at that? Oh, yeah. That your kids think that beating you and becoming better than you at anything means that you're going to be proud of them because that should be how it is. Oh, isn't yeah. that wonderful? Yeah. And I mean, I we, we have, he has, he asks a lot of inquisitive questions like, um, like I explained to him, I had to do it in simple terms because, you know, monetary theory is complicated, <laughs> mm-hmm. but why taxation was theft, you know, simple, simple concept. But really, if you start breaking it down, it's not as simple as it sounds. Yeah. Like, 
all right, well, they're taking it without my consent. But yeah, but they're used to, yeah, but they took it from me. <laughs> and that's right. the best answer you have is they took it. So, so it's like, all right, you have to explain why you yeah. know, they took it and they're, that the fact that they're wasting it. But the more important thing is that they took it and didn't ask. The so root. It doesn't matter. It's, it's rude that they took it. If I take something of his, it's theft, period. Yeah. yeah. Whether they think I deserve, it or deserve to have it or not. And it, it, we had this conversation for like 15, 20 minutes. And he, he asked a lot of questions that sound challenging, mm-hmm. but they're inquisitive. Yes. And I was like, I freaking love it. It's like the I kid thinks it. like me. And then he throws out random, random sarcastic comments, which I love. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know where he gets it. Uh, yeah. My oldest is not genetically mine, but I've been around since he was two. So he's, he's got my brain. It's, it's insane. I love that. And that's I... what concerns me the most about spreading my emotional stuff onto him because he's already an anxious kid mm-hmm. due to his, you know, social awkwardness and such, but he's so freaking smart. And it's like, all right, I need to find a better way to build his confidence and that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Communicate, communicate all of it, communicate about the healing journey and how, how much happy you are and why, and what's so like what you're learning, um, involve him in it. he's old enough. So involve him in it, even if he gets awkward. Because, right, I mean, he might get a little awkward with it because it's new and it's different. But keep it open and, like, uh, on the table at all times that this is just something that you're passionate about and want to share. And because we need to normalize this. We need to normalize that uh, the idea of trauma and and healing. Oh, yeah. So, um, all right, this next question. I actually had to figure out how to word this. Somebody had given me a suggestion on a concept. And I was like, well, he's like, I don't know how you'd word it. And I was like, well, let me think about it. Because this was his experience as a child. Um, He had a single mother. And he he was curious if, um, do your kids ever avoid uh, certain topics to avoid triggering depression or anxiety? And I mean, if they do, you know, how do you help them correct it? I mean, obviously communication is key on this too. Can I clarify their triggers for their trauma? No, it would or... be your specific triggers. Like, how, do they avoid certain topics to not trigger you? And this one might even be more of an Erica question than a you question. I'm not really sure. I th- Because like you said, Erica came along a little bit later, so... I think we can use me as an example because we have a recent one, right? Erica, calendar mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So part of my PTSD um, that really uh, messed me up after Adelie was, um, you know, about the driving thing, Chuck, that I, I can't drive because of, or uh, yet, yet. Uh, I can a little You're bit, but um, you'll get it. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. uh, the other one is schedule trauma is what I call it or calendar trauma. And I mm. cannot stress how, how weird it is that I always transpose numbers on dates and times, or I will disassociate completely and miss things. I can't make myself easily write things in a calendar. And if I write something in a calendar, you best believe I'm going to lose that calendar or forget that I'm using it. Um, write it down. 
or write it wrong in the calendar. That's right. Yes, yep. it's bad. All and right. so that's why Erica did scheduling for this. Uh, yep. I understand now. Uh, we are now working as a team. Thank you, Erica. Uh, just, yeah, she'll. I'll let her explain it to you how she does it. But there was a point where uh, my daughter with the shared trauma, Adelie, is all about making plans. It's her favorite thing. She's probably on the spectrum. And, uh, and I mean, she went through quite a bit. They told me that she would be a vegetable and that she wouldn't live past three, most likely. So. And now she's 12 and she is very social. She likes to know what's going on and her about her surroundings. She wants to know what will be happening. She loves to make plans. It's her favorite thing. And that is happens to be the one thing that I can't handle. Right. So absolutely. Uh, my she's only now really this last year been we've been sharing with her because what I was doing was again that's where it was leaking onto her where I would be like ah oh, I you know I can't talk about it right now you know what let's we'll talk about it later we'll talk about it later and that's what I would act like every time she'd start bringing up well can we do something like this and how about at three or da 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 I'm like okay that's enough you you mentioned it and then I'm like immediately trying to run away and so I didn't like that that was how I was talking to my daughter and acting and feeling around her. And so I started sharing that I have calendar trauma with her and start okay, communicating, taking my own advice and working on it with her. And very recently, I, I'm now at the point now today, I, Erica actually tried to step in and say something to her. And I kind of go, and I looked at her and I said, okay, so this is what's happening. And I gave her my schedule and I did a really good job today. I'm really proud of myself. It was a big win for me. So I've been literally working on this right now. Congratulations. Thank you. And I, and it, you know what it is, is telling myself that I'm not going to make any mistakes. And if I do, then it's meant to be, and I'm going to learn what I need to learn. I'm going to know what I need to know when I need to know it. That if I remember who I am, um, this podcast that I'm doing is with a, somebody I care about. I'm going to have a great time. It's a subject that I love to talk about and I don't, there's nothing to be stressed out about. And I'm just starting to believe it now. And, uh, Erica, go ahead. You could, you could talk about what it's like. Uh, so with the, with Adelie, one thing that I did just to kind of put weight on the other side of her calendar experience with her mom and how her mom used to interact with her regarding planning and scheduling is yeah. I started giving Adelie more control over the calendar. We have a calendar that lives behind the door. That's kind of for everybody. It's a whiteboard. Um, and I've involved her at the start of every month, taking a picture of the month before and laying out the days of the week and the days of the month and putting up the things that we do that we know we do every week and really just involving her in the calendaring and also working with her on plans and assisting her when she's making plans for things so that she has, while she is, can have the possibility of having a negative experience with her mom regarding the calendar. Um, there is a place for her to do calendar stuff and be supported in that. Cause it is part of her passion, mm -hmm. which is absolutely adorable and annoying at the same time. Um, hopefully that will balance out a little bit more. Um, I think as my, my healing keeps happening, I think she's going to become a little less neurotic. I'm already seeing it happen. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, oh, completely. Um, what we saw last week with that, with the sleepover was beautiful. 
absolutely beautiful. Adelie woke up in the morning, knew exactly what her day was going to look like. She knew what time they were going to be there. She knew everything that she had to do beforehand. Whereas the time before she woke up and it was 90 million times. What else do I have to do? What else do I have to do? What time will they be here? What time am I leaving? When am I coming home? So she definitely found some, some inner peace on the whole travel thing and the calendar thing that we hadn't seen before. So the ripples of healing, I mean, it is, that is real and we are seeing it in these children. Yeah. I know, I know my <clears throat> oldest is similar. He likes to know what's going on likes to kind of know like a step-by-step plan. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of trying to do a reverse thing. I'm so, he, so he doesn't, cause I don't, I schedule things, but I kind of stay fluid with everything. Yeah. Yep. And so I'm trying to, without making him feel bad about him, like didn't know the schedule, mm-hmm. trying to uh, point out to him that dude, it's not the end of the world. If you can't meet a schedule, this is kind of what we're planning, but it may change. We may it's so us- hard, especially if you're on the spectrum, by the way. Oh, yeah. If he's on the spectrum, I was reading something recently about executive dysfunction and and what that looks like when you have a day ahead of you, but you can't picture in your head what it's going to look like. And that kind of causes executive dysfunction. Like if you know you're going to go to McDonald's, you're a 10 year old and you know you're going to go to McDonald's that day, most likely. But you don't understand how you're going to get there. You don't see you can't see that. Oh, we'll probably leave around 330. They just don't have the ability to see the play out of their plan. So sometimes just walking them through this is what could happen. Um, here's one scenario and definitely let them know it's not concrete, but that way they can have an idea of what to expect because they can't picture it for themselves. Absolutely. And that's something I try to point out to him said, life is kind of flexible. You have to be flexible. Not everything's going to be set in stone, no matter how good of plans you make. May I make it suggestion? Sure. Um, positive affirmations. Every time he goes with the flow, every time it happens, um, like every time something kind of changes or you're late or you t- switched out the plan for something else, um, thanking him and acknowledging how cool he was about it. Even if it was a little bit of a struggle inside, you could may have seen it or there might've been some distress, but like really, really affirming how, um, much you, how, how inspired you are by him, how much you appreciate his willingness to pivot and just whatever his love language is like, you'll figure that out the the right approach. But I think that if we would have had more, okay, I was a child that was on the spectrum as a kid. And if I would have had more affirmations, like just like, Oh, good job. You're so smart. I really wish I would have had, you're being so flexible and easygoing. This is like, congratulations or good job. Thanks for being such a great team player. Like I really wish I would have got affirmed more for how, um, when things were hard for me, like, like buy new shoes, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Oh, and as a single parent, I just want to point out that it is a lot harder with a single parent. Oh, absolutely. So, um, I think that if you're co-parenting, then it would be really nice if everybody's on the same page and shared values usually does that. And, but when you're dealing with somebody like an ex that is always trying to find something wrong with you, you might be, they might be a narcissist or something. You don't really want to give them information about what you're struggling with. Right. Oh, absolutely. So 
in those cases with the kids, I, I think you need to prioritize your healing because it is a gift to your children. That when you heal inside, it's like it releases these children from their neuroticisms, from their fears and from their anxiety. The, the, if you heal your anxiety, it's weird that your kids are less anxious. So I think that prioritizing your healing is still do, doing a ch- your kids a service, even if you don't have four or five adults living in a house to help you, you know, like we do. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I never did before either, and I never saw myself wanting to. And the fact that I did was God told me to. God inspired it. And I am so glad I listened because it was actually nobody that knew me in the past would have ever thought that I would have other people living in my home or that I would let anyone else think that they could parent my kids. Okay. That is that my kids are mine. Right. Right. Erica. And she's laughing. It's true. She's she knows it. And, <laughs> and, uh, so do my older kids, they think it's the greatest thing ever. My older kids, they are just in love with, with what we're doing. It's just so fun because I've come so far. They're really proud of me and they're healing from it too. But the other thing is communicate with your kids and share with them. And when you see that your children love you and want to forgive you and want to understand you, um, not in a way where you're making them responsible for your feelings or fixing anything, they should be, that is not their responsibility. Absolutely. The children need to know that it's not their job to, to help you and fix you. That should never come up. You should make sure they know it is that their job is to, is to work on themselves and to just be whole. But Absolutely. when you share, when you're sharing what's going on for you and asking them, you know, what, what could I do to make you feel better when this happens? Or, you know, just really talk about it openly. I think that being a part of the solution and supporter supporting your healing journey would probably be the best approach as a single parent. That's, that's my assessment. Oh yeah. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not very big on trigger avoidance. Oh, no, no. Yeah, for me, avoiding my triggers is a surefire way for me to get triggered, um, honestly. And asking others to avoid my triggers has not worked in the past because, you know, what we're resisting is going to be persisting for sure. So I kind of, I communicate when I am triggered and do the absolute best that I can and not put those emotions, the responsibility of triggering me is not on the person I'm interacting with. It's my responsibility because I'm the person holding the gun with the trigger and that gun is my trauma. And so it's, I got to handle my trauma. It's never anybody's fault for triggering me. And I really can. Or for you just being triggered. Yeah. 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 At all. Um, And I actually, at this point in my healing journey, I welcome being triggered because it gives me something else to work on. Um, And generally my triggers these days all kind of will coalesce around one topic of my trauma, one specific part of my trauma that really informed decisions about who I was. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing like really deep ego work every time I'm being triggered. I take it as a sign that, you know, I'm on the right path with my healing. And I, I avoid my triggers now oh, yeah. uh, communicating them to others is good though so that way if you know the more i learned about erica <laughs> the more i learned about erica the more i realized i'm like like kind of knowing when she was or paying attention so that i could support her 
while she was doing that inside work. That's good. That's good community. That's good teamwork. I'm not responsible for them. Um, but if it happens, it is nice to have people who care about you supporting you. Good, good support structure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's it kind of goes back to like the way y'all parent. You know the the old saying. You know it takes a community to raise a child. Well, or it takes a village to raise a child. Whatever. Y'all yeah. are kind of doing it. Yeah. And it's proof that it's working, you know? I, I love that you said that because I remember being really annoyed by that that saying because a lot of people think the village is the whole collective, everyone out there. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now that I don't like what everyone out there is doing, oh, thinking, not. believing. Yeah. And so not that village. It um, When you create a, your tribe of people who who bring shared values to the table and in our shared values are love and connectedness and, and, you know, um, non-aggression principle, then that's why it's a village. That's what makes us a village, right? Exactly. It's like an intentional village versus just a hodgepodge of nonsense. Yeah. I don't want that neighbor out there. It's not the village we were born in. It's not the village we were born in at all. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And to go with the, the of not avoiding triggers uh, thing, I mean, there's no, the only way to get over something that's triggering you is to go through it, really. I mean, that's Amen. what I've learned through my, through my struggles is you just gotta, gotta fight through it. It sucks. <laughs> it's a nightmare most of the time, but eventually it starts not being so bad the more you face it. It's, it's- like any other fear. And really talking about a it. A trigger is just a fear. Right? Yep. And not only talking about it, but reparenting yourself through that trigger. So every yep. time we through a trigger, coming out of it with what a good job I just did in that very scary situation. And I know that the situation wasn't scary this time, but it was scary the first time I went through it and I made oh, yeah. it what a good job I've done. I'm a good girl. Wow. Yeah. You can yeah. reaffirm that. Hey, this this one wasn't as bad as last time. Yeah. Awesome. You can tag on to, can ta- tag this onto affirming for your child after they pivot in a schedule disappointment is the same voice. What a good job you just did pivoting through that disappointment. You did an amazing job doing it. It was way better than the last time. I'm really proud of you. Do you want to talk about what you did this time that was different? Or what did that feel like for you? And do, doing the same thing for yourself every time you go through that. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, giving grace for having the feelings. I've, I've noticed that um, people really get hung up in, in loops and it never, it will not get better if we're like, why, why, why? Like, like. Why can't I? Why can't I? Why can't I? And I hate that this is happening. The more resistance you have in those in those hard times, the more you're using up all of your energy in a shame cycle, fear cycle, and instead kind of be like, okay, this is happening. And I accidentally made too many plans this week, right? So I made plans for every single day of the week by accident. Me, the calendar trauma girl, I thought, well, this is the universe. It's all conspiring right now in a beautiful way to help me work through this. I'm not kidding. This really just, just happened this week. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm, but this time I have so much faith in this process now that I just started laughing. Right. And I was like, okay, I'm super anxious right now. None of the things I'm thinking about make sense. 
I haven't thought like this about myself in a long time. And instead of um, freaking out, I trust that I'm going to walk out of this healed in a new way. And it's true. And I am. And just giving myself grace and saying, I'm going to let myself be anxious. And I'm not going to try to make myself stop. I'm going to let myself feel it and just do it and get through and go, anything I do today is a job well done. Anything I do today is a job well done. And just putting down the resistance and saying, okay, I'm ready. Okay, it's happening. This is not what I, I don't want to be anxious. It's been a long time since I had anxiety because I've been doing such a great job. I'm not backsliding. I'm pushing forward. And so I just let myself be anxious yesterday. And because I was so kind to myself, I woke up today and I said, I'm ready, bitches. I'm ready. Yeah. So this is the plan, guys, is the plan is to follow the plan. Chill the hell out. Be kind to yourself. And it's all going to just unfold. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we are running a little long, so I'm going to do one more question because we answered the last three on the, on the list mm -hmm. throughout the whole freaking conversation, mm -hmm. you know, as far as avoiding transference, um, secondary traumatization and how to separate your trauma from, you know, your parenting. So in your present life, we've kind of discussed all those things throughout the other questions. Um, but this one, is kind of different because, and I, I see this one in myself because I'm kind of antisocial in a lot of ways. Believe it or not, the guy doing a podcast and all my friends are on the internet. So of course I'm antisocial, <laughs> <clears throat> but um, how do you be social and give your child the social life that they need? Um, you know, some people hide from the world to avoid their triggers and then this can affect their kid because their kid knows hide from the world. Me first. Okay. So I'm going to say, I'd love to get offer a little correction for you and say, all your friends are on the internet. You, that's socialization. You are socializing. So I would like to just congratulate you from being a person who had to withdraw to protect themselves, to feel like they weren't disappointing anyone, embarrassing themselves, feeling overwhelmed. You are socializing. And you have lifelong friendships now. And just because you haven't stood in the same room as them, it doesn't make it less real. Um, you are valuable and you offer things to the world. And how many of us have influenced other people? We have to take this in. How many people have been influenced by you from a long distance? Many, many. So uh, I just want to say you're doing a good job. Thank you. And then uh, part two socialization is starts with the parents and the kids. Um, a, a child is born to their parents and that, and then their siblings and then their extended family. And that is socialization and socialization has, I believe been kind of obfuscated, hijacked by the public school system to put down things like homeschooling. And as if, taking all the children that are born within a certain amount of months and shoving them into a, a group projects when they would normally not associate with some of those kids and forcing them into socializing with people that they wouldn't even choose. If they owned themselves, they wouldn't play around. They would fight back. They would say, 
I'm not doing this with you. I'm going to go over here. They, I mean, and they would hang out with kids that are older and younger also. So, and adults. So I think that uh, we have a skewed idea of socialization in that sense. And then third, uh, I think that it depends on the person we're talking about. But when we pull away, I know that I did that too. But I was able to give my child more, my children. When I pulled away from the sick world, I am so glad I did that because it was the best thing for us. Because a healthy mom is a, is a healthier mother to them. And I was still, in, back then when I pulled away and said I can't do friends anymore because I made friends with narcissists. I made friends with people who were extremely codependent, who put too You're much pressure too nice on me. You're just too nice of a person, Raylene. You're just too nice. <laughs> We are too nice and too traumatized to have healthy boundaries. I agree. Yeah. And, and and so I I had to pull back and really say that's it, just me and the family. And I honestly I think that my kids did really great with that because I focused on them and I was able to give them what they needed. And I wasn't trying to make them perform for other people's enjoyment. And I wasn't putting them in situations socially of of my friends as kids and making them hang out with them just because they're my friends. So I actually saved them from a lot of that codependency. And I think that everybody was happy with the situation that I made. Yeah. And I mean, it's a difference between forcing your kids to hang out with them, you know, all the time and yeah, letting them yeah. try it. And if they decide, Hey, I don't like that kid, not making them do it again. You know? Oh yeah. Honestly, I think that I really, really like everybody to understand codependency and what that is, because if, as parents, we don't understand codependency, then we are doing our kids a disservice because socializing should not be done unless codependency is tackled at the base level. Absolutely. And that's my, that's my advice. What do you, what do you have to say? I completely agree with that. And I had issues with the question just from the start of the socialization a child needs. And, you know, that makes me look at, well, what does a child actually need as far as socialization? So we're looking at the purpose of a kid or raising a kid is to have a productive member of society as an adult and which I disagree with. What are we making factory workers? Exactly. Exactly. So the very idea of social, like having this idea of what a, what that looks like growing up is it's all bullshit to me. Um, so I don't really socialize much, I guess. I feel like I'm a social creature, but um, I don't go out and I don't bring the kids out with me very often. Um, we have some group small. Yeah, the group is very small. And I look at, well, are these well, kids going to be not. Able to <laughs> in different social situations? I, I do believe that these children will be completely capable of being themselves in any social situation, which honestly is my goal for myself is is the ability to just be me in no matter the social situation Amen. so you know it's like i i don't see the need to push anything on the kids or off of the kids for this it's just teach them how to be themselves and how to respect others honestly don't don't hurt them and don't touch their shit and we'll, we'll all be great <laughs> yeah. yeah well we we have um a friend that i went to school with and we really reconnected quite a bit over the last year and introduced our kids and honest 
honestly, it's wonderful because they, they're new friends. They're not just their cousins or, you know, the, the kids that they know and that they, that we already hang out with. And, and so introducing, it was, it was a fun experiment. You know, I'm like a scientist, you know, I love this they stuff, get to right? expand so, their circle. Yeah. So we did, we, to. we did, and we kind of expanded the circle to a, a toddler and a 10 year old who fits in between, um, Adelie and Lincoln. And it is really fun. It's fun watching my six-year-old go through feeling like, why can't I go and do this? And I'm like, well, because sometimes kids that are closer to the same age want to hang out with kids that are the same age. And they want to talk about things that 10 and 12-year-olds talk about um, and blah, blah, blah. But they do like you. And so I get, so I guess this, it's every time you introduce them to a new situation, there's opportunity for learning. And I think that because doing it kind of slow in our role and not, and our kids not going to school has been beautiful because my, my kids are authentic. So they, we get to hear what they're really thinking. We get to see what they really want. They, they express themselves honestly about what they're looking for. And, you know, we could take my son aside and say, looks like you're wanting attention, but this is a, maybe a, not a good way to get it. Like trying to be annoying is one way to get people to pay attention to you, but they won't have good ideas about you. And so I think you should stop. And then once we express it to them on, I mean, it's, it's, they have no problems. It's the, this is all stuff they learn in school, but through ickier ways without a lot of supervision, to be honest. And being stuck in a freaking a exactly. building for eight freaking hours. And well, they have no why problem do you need talking to be in adults. that building for eight hours. I never understood that. Oh, gosh. Cause the, because, well, I think it became free daycares. I think a huge part of it. I think it, there's unions involved. I mean, this, I mean, there's many, many, many uh, spoons in the pot with government. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, that's a huge. I, I meant more in like a, just a. I mean, obviously the government's involved, and that's why it's just a big rigmarole. If you can't teach, yeah, a few basic subjects because they're teaching stuff that they shouldn't be teaching anyway. All, which is all of it. Kind of traumatizing in itself. It, stuff yeah, that they don't need to know. I mean, uh, if you want to teach the kids math and science, that's fine. How to speak properly. Use well, then they have to reinvent how together. they teach okay. the math to justify their jobs. I mean, the truth oh, is, yeah. is that the whole thing's a racket. The Prussian model was to create factory workers who took orders and were brainwashable. This is 1984. Factory workers and soldiers. Dynamic. Exactly. And so I would agree. But uh, how many of those children know how to talk to adults and have conversations with adults? Now our kids do. So now not only do our, our kids know how to talk to other kids of all ages and adults, um, but we're with them. And so when they're in a new situation or they're trying something new socially, we're there to gently show them the future if they continue this and what that might look like and give them the choice. Um, there's something I, I was thinking about earlier and I, and I wanted to tell you. Kids are more likely to follow your rules and advice if they agree to it. So the biggest mistake with children and adults and how they talk to their kids is do what I say to do, but they do not express the value in it. And there will be a value on almost everything you're asking of your kids if you're doing them from the right places and the right things, if, then the kids will kind of go, okay, I see the reason in that. And then they will usually follow the rules. When, if they understand something's actually dangerous 
and they have imagined what that danger would look like and what it would feel like, they will usually follow the rules, you know? That actually brings up a that line right there actually makes me think of a, a basic training story. So we went to the grenade range. You know, you actually throw a live grenade. Mm-hmm. They've been training us for freaking few days on how to do it, but it was all just drilled, drilled into our head. Never told why exactly. Not that you couldn't figure out that, hey, if you don't freaking do this thing, the grenade will blow up and kill you and everybody mm-hmm. around you. Which would have been simple enough to say, it's like, you know what, hold this thing with two hands and hold it freaking tight until you're ready to throw it. Yeah. It was a whole freaking drill in process to just drill the discipline and reprogram your mind. Yeah. 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 And That's pretty much is how that, it works nowadays. Right. And kids break the rules when they don't see the value in them. Okay. And this is why we have to teach them the empathy or the the calculations, strategizing. And I mean, that's all part of what, that's actual teaching. That's actual teaching. You are your kid's first teacher. Okay. Absolutely. So I just wanted to throw that out there that I think it's really important to talk to your kids and show them the value in it. Because my, the, I have a two children, my, my youngest two, they're, they're the rule breakers. Right, Erica? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, naturally, right. Very naturally, the rule breakers. And so I, I have noticed that once they see the value in it, they are way more likely to follow the rules and be trustworthy. And so I think that that's super important that when you're in school, they don't teach you the value in it. They just say, don't do this. And these are the rules. And we say, listen to your teachers, <laughs> to listen to us, do what we say. But as a kid, I know that I was perpetually frustrated and I felt very misunderstood. I did, I, I, I didn't realize that I, how much gaslighting I was going through as a kid because I wasn't given reasons for the rules that made sense. Nothing made sense. Well, this world does make a lot more sense than we think it does. Yeah. And, and if it doesn't, then we need to be talking more and figuring it out. And our parents need to be telling us the truth. And a lot of times they don't even know the reasons why you're supposed to sit still in your seat. Why do you have to sit still in your seat? Why is that a rule? What? <laughs> why do you have to put your phone on airplane mode on the, on the airplane? Exactly. Exactly. And that's the people feel fine about breaking rules that aren't real rules. You know, the rule breakers, it's really funny. They're all out there and we're not talking about bad people. We're talking about not criminals. We're talking about regular people that don't follow rules. And everyone gets real mad when they don't follow the rule. But you're like, why is that a rule though? Why do you care about that piece of paint on the ground that you have to stand on? That guy doesn't want to stand on that piece of paint. He can just keep walking. It's fine for him. And why do you care about that plant so much? Yeah, exactly. Oh man. I think this has been really productive, like extremely productive. And I'm glad I got to have y'all as my first, first set on the topic because it's, it's just, I don't know. Y'all are a great example of how to start things. Oh, thanks. Y'all are really doing things amazingly. I mean, I see it constantly. Oh, honestly, Er Erica showing up on my driveway needed a place to stay it was the best thing that ever happened to our family in so many ways and uh it's really funny because i told you no one's loving it with us because lots of people try to live with us we're like no and um well, and- you never that i don't recall that conversation 
I bet. So uh, it was really funny because uh, it was it was God sent and helping going, caring about this person and helping her uh, with with with. I mean, because you know she was raised in in a cult and she wasn't allowed to have feelings and they had a, a emotion. It's called the tone scale and empathy is underneath dead body on the tone scale for for the the quote quote religion that she was raised in and it and so she didn't even understand any feelings or that she she didn't even know she was an emotional person so going into that with so much wanting to help her um she has done so much for me and i've healed so much and she's been here on the journey of me making it right with my older kids and i mean it's been a really fun adventure right the pleasure is mutual, honey. You know, watching you actually go through this with your older kids has healed wounds for me um, that I had with my mother and just childhood wounds. Watching some, helping somebody and watching somebody else heal and really take accountability has been a huge boost in my healing. It's all <laughs> that is, it's just, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> um any final thoughts um yeah you own yourself um and i just want to remind everybody out there that you own yourself and your life can look any any way that you really want it even if your our minds are sometimes limited in imagination but anything's possible magic is real and if you do the healing work, ev- things that you never imagined were possible, they're yours. And um, God is so much bigger than than our imaginations and our abilities. And even if you don't believe in, in a Bible God, I'm just saying, whatever it is out there, it's real. And you can. And you can have it all. And you, just ha- and you can learn to love yourself. And you can be totally free. And that freedom is the greatest gift. And it is, you're already, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already interested and you're already doing something. And so congratulate yourselves, be kind to yourselves, definitely take on, start imagining what the perfect parent would do and say to you and start really stepping into that role. And and you're going to see everything unfold for you. That's it. Mm. Shit, you just said it all. <laughs> I told you I do that. That's why I want you to go first. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I guess my my final final words are: um, it healing starts at home, and your home is in your heart. And the way to parent your children is the same way you need to parent yourself. And you can figure it out between the two, and love yourself through anything. Seriously. Oh. We are made of love and you, you have the ability to love yourself through anything. And if you can do that, you can show that to your child and teach them how to do that for themselves, because that's the point of having kids. Yes, absolutely. So I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. I really do. Um, <laughs> want to close out with my general standards. Um, every wake up is a victory. Just because you don't feel loved or you feel alone doesn't mean you aren't loved. 
and it doesn't mean you are alone. Just keep pushing forward. You're stronger than you believe you are. And I will talk to you all next month.